Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is an overview of Micah, entitled Who is Like God. Good to see all of you. Some of you I've continued to see, and some of you haven't seen in a long time. Welcome back, wherever you're from. I'm glad you're not there. We're glad you're here. We're working our way through the Old Testament. I think the last, last year, if you were here, during winter Texan season, we were in the book of Isaiah, coming into Jeremiah. We're now all the way to the book of Micah. We're starting Micah today. You got a Bible with you, turn to the book of Micah. And we're going to be introduced to this prophet and some of, his, some of the teachings he's going to be bringing to us uh, by the Word of God. Familiar with uh, this guy on the screen? See there? Yeah. Who's that guy? Well, I'll tell you what, you don't know his name, but I'll tell you his name. His actual name is Paul Marcarelli. He's uh, Italian descent. He's from New York City. He got hired by Verizon. That's how you know him. Uh, to be just this guy on the street to represent their test uh, guys who supposedly were traveling all over the nation to figure out where their coverage was good and bad. And, and he coined the phrase, or I should say he popularized the phrase, which was what? Can you hear me now, right? And of course, they dropped him at Verizon. Of course, you notice the phone he's got up next to his ear is not exactly a smartphone. That's a flip phone. It tells you how long he's been around. And he got recontracted with Sprint. So if you've got either Verizon or Sprint, you're related to this guy in some ways. Uh, but the inventor of the original global communication system was not Verizon or Sprint. It was God. And he has been sending his test subjects out into the world for a very long time. In fact, you have the stuff that he sent them to say contained in the Bible, in particular the Old Testament. His prophets would go out to the people and say, can you hear me now uh, on behalf of God? Can you hear me now, now that I'm speaking? And then they would go off and do the stuff he told them not to do, and then it would turn out the way he said, and things would begin to spiral down anymore, and he would send another prophet to him and say, so can you hear me now? And then uh, on and on, and then as, as times got worse and consequences of sin and their lives began to spiral out of control, uh, he began to send more and more of these guys to them saying the same thing, so can you hear me now? And the Bible actually is a collection of all that God has said and effectively in the Bible, God is saying to you, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? So here you are in church, right? Were you always in church? You were always faithful to God? Now me neither. But, but can you hear him now? Can, can, we, can we get enough unction within us to say, God, we're listening to you. We want to hear you. Please take away our distractions. Please take away our, our preconceived ideas and, so that we can hear you. And God is going to be speaking to us, even though... Uh, this is a Jewish prophet writing to Jewish people as we're going to see that there's more going on here than just a Jewish message. Take a look at Micah chapter 1, beginning verses, we're just going to look at verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord, which came to Micah of Morasheth, we don't really know who this guy is because Micah was such a common name. Town even was small town, but there could have been a lot of men named Micah, and there are in the Bible, common name. So this, nonetheless, this prophet from this town, uh, in the days of Jotham, he names, he dates basically his, his, uh, it, his ministry here, about a 50-year ministry. Jotham, Ahaz, these are kings of, of the southern kingdom, kings of Judah. Ahaz, Hezekiah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. You might want to mark that word saw there. That's important. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Thinking he's still talking to the Jews? Look at the next one. Listen, O earth. And all it contains, I don't know about you, but earth happens to be my residence. So if you happen to be residing on earth, I would suggest to you this message, it's not just a Jewish message, it's not just the guy from a small town in, in Israel speaking here, this is God speaking, and we're going to see the, the links that God goes to prove that. Anyway, let the Lord 
be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple, it says here. And so Micah is our fourth largest uh, book of the Minor Prophets, uh, 50 some odd years, which he's congealed into seven short chapters. So this is a study in brevity in a lot of ways. Uh, by, by this time, though, God is, because they've not been able to hear him, you know, clearly, he, he has sent a uh, sort of a barrage of prophets. And Micah falls into this illustrious group of what's called the 8th century prophets, 8th century B.C., and among them, you have Micah, Isaiah, who was a contemporary of Micah, Amos, and Hosea. All these guys, these guys who you're familiar with, all their names, they all prophesied in the same century. Some of them overlapping. Some of them died before the other ones. But some of them, like Isaiah and Micah, were um, contemporaries. And some of the things that they say are identical, not because one copied the other, but because God was saying the same message through these two guys trying to get to the people. Can you hear me now, right? Well, um, if you know anything about it, they, they really couldn't. They weren't willing, I should say, to listen. And God goes to very far lengths to show that Micah, what Micah was saying was not from Micah, but from God. Look at, look at uh, again, the f- first verse. It says there, uh, the word of the Lord came to Micah. So he didn't come to it. It came to him. It came looking for him, if you will. Micah's just minding his own business. I don't know what he did for a regular job. But all of a sudden, boom, he receives this message from God. He writes it down and communicates it to the children of Israel. Like I said, seven short chapters. He had a long administration, a long, long ministry, but, but uh, uh, congeals it here in seven chapters. The word of the Lord comes to Micah. And so it wasn't, didn't originate from him. It didn't come from his mind. It wasn't something he dreamed up. It wasn't something he was looking for. He minded his own business. And, and all of a sudden, whammo, here it comes. And by the way, uh, true not only of Micah, but of all prophets. Notice what Peter says. Carefully notice this. First of all, you should know. You should know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. It wasn't that these guys were sitting around coming up with stuff. The stuff that people do that for is not in the Bible. A lot of stuff was written during these times. There's lots of letters. There's extra books, you know, you find in the Catholic Bible. People have questions about that. They were not included because it was just stuff. People come up with all kinds of stuff. People write books all the time. They were not included in the Scriptures because they are not unique in the sense of the way Peter describes it here and the way Micah describes it. These inter- they didn't come up from their own heads because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. And if it does, it's therefore not prophecy, even though they may claim to be it. They're lying to you. They're, uh, I don't know what they're taking, but it must be uh, some pretty strong stuff because they've had it in their heads some weird way. Instead, it says men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is unique to the prophets of God. So they were truly the test case of God's global system of communication, saying over and over again, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And the Bible is the recording of those things that they said and that they wrote. So notice something else. So it says the word of God which came to Micah, and then it says there and continuing in verse 1, that which he saw. Well, that's a very interesting statement. That should make you think. So... Our assumption is, is that prophets, and mostly they did, they were guys who heard some kind of audible message. God spoke to them. They didn't see anything per se. Uh, the only other place I'm familiar with it that a prophet writes like this is all the way to the book of Revelation. And John says the same, same things. He recorded the things which he saw. And of course, Revelation is full of all these visions and all this imagery. And there was a, there was a lot, there was a ton to see, right? The book of Micah doesn't have much of that. The book of Micah is more or less just straight prophecy, just God speaking. And so what did he see? I mean, it's conjecture, but I would suggest to you he probably saw it written. So instead of just an audibly taking dictation, 
He copied, if you will, as if in the phone world we live in, copied and pasted, right? And so that's what we have here. How can we be certain this is the word of God? Because he says, listen, I saw it. I wrote it down. I wrote down what I saw. Okay, believe him or not, that's what he says. So here, here's Micah saying, God, like I said, goes out of the way to say, this isn't Micah's words. These are my words. So thus, need to listen to them. Also, verse 2 tells us, that, like I said, this isn't just a Jewish message. If, if you live on earth, this message is for you. Uh, it's a global message. And uh, we definitely, I hope, I hope that we're listening. The book of Micah takes on a number of subjects. There's lots of themes here. Uh, one major theme, we're going to get to that in a bit. But uh, lots of different themes. One of, the, one of the themes he takes on, which is very relevant to our um, current situation, is the theme of politics. Anybody heard anything about politics lately? You know, I figured out where politics is, is settled. It's settled on Facebook. I don't know if y'all know that or not. But everyone is talked out of their position on Facebook, apparently, because everybody keeps shooting this stuff out there. And um, I find it funny, and therefore I don't post much on Facebook because it's just a, a battle of a bunch of people who would like to say, who would never say the same things face-to-face -to, -face to each other, who like to get in arguments over uh, over media, and I don't get it. Uh, oh, I do get it, actually, because it's just the way people are, and I'm just trying not to be up. One of them, I don't know about you. Anyway, this whole issue of politics comes up here in the book of Micah, and uh, God never heard the, that you shouldn't discuss religion and politics. He just never got that message. But God just absolutely takes head on the, the different issues that, that we have a difficult time with. And uh, I don't know uh, if you know this guy. I don't know if you recognize him. I hope none of you are related to him. Not because any other reason other than what he did. Uh, William Jefferson is his name. He's a representative from uh, the state of Louisiana in our great country. And uh, he has spent, uh, up until 2017, he sp spent eight of the years of his life incarcerated in the state of Texas uh, for using his position as a state representative to basically underwrite his position and those he was related to. As an example, things he was written up for, 13 different counts. 2002, he used his position in an organization that, that was supposed to get voters to the polls to make sure everybody was registered. He used that very organization to ensure that his daughter got elected to the House of Representatives in the state of Louisiana. So I consider that corruption. I don't know about y'all. That's one of the things he was indicted for. In addition, he used the same organization in 1998, in 2002, and 2006 to ensure that his sister was elected as a uh, chairperson in the city of, of New Orleans. I would consider that to be corruption. You know, probably don't know him for these things. What you do know, if you know anything about him, or you know at least what he did, not his name necessarily, uh, was that after Katrina hit, his home district is, is New Orleans, or was. And uh, he had an office there and a house there and other things. When Katrina hit New Orleans, and of course they were rescuing people, people were dying, people were losing lives, people were in danger, he... he um, he acquired, let's just say, a National Guard helicopter along with his entire crew and several of the National Guard uh, people and took them off of rescuing lives and got them into rescue important stuff like his files and his desk and his freezer full of deer meat and stuff like that. Uh, that's the guy that did that. You heard that, right? Well, you're looking at him. He's the guy that sent him up the river or down the river for 13 years, but he got out in eight because another guy who was not corrupt at all, I'm sure, in the state of Louisiana, another judge like himself, uh, decided that the stuff he did wasn't that bad and that he should get off for time served, and so he cut him loose. It wasn't, he didn't consider all these things to be the, the judge in Louisiana, to be corruption. 
And so, uh, so this guy is free. Uh, but anyway, uh, times have definitely changed, but people have not changed. And here's how Micah addressed the circumstances. Sounds very uh, current, doesn't it? Her leaders judge for a bribe. Okay, Mr. Jefferson. Her, her priests teach for a price. Her prophets tell for fortune, fortunes for money, yet they look to the Lord's support and they say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. You know, we, of course, our, our national motto is in God we trust. And people are harping on that. And there's a part of me that harps on that. There's another part of me that doesn't want the people who are representing us to say it. Because it's not true about them. For them to say in God we trust is a lie. They do not. Mr. Jefferson or any of these other yahoos, a lot of them, most of them, it seems anymore, to say in God we trust, I mean, it's just not true. It's just not. So, like I said, times have changed, but people definitely have not changed. And not only was it true of the secular leaders in the time of Micah, uh, but it was also true of the religious leaders. Very, Like I said, very close to where we live today. Uh, take a look at Matthew, uh, Micah chapter 2. If a liar... And a deceiver, right, like he's known for this, says, I will prophesy for you plenty, becomes this religious leader, plenty of wine and beer. That would be just a prophet for this people. Sounds, sounds like a guy who could get a job today, doesn't it, and build a big following, doesn't it? It's not difficult to build a huge following and build a mega church. Just tell the people what they want to hear. That's all you got to do. You can't do what Micah does, though. I mean, that doesn't keep the money rolling in. You can't say exactly what God tells you to say because God's offensive. You don't build churches like that. You build churches by shaving off all the corners and making it nice and smooth for everybody and coming up with your own stuff and telling a, a, a bunch of uh, wicked people that they're fine. That's the way you build big churches. That's the way you do it, for crying out loud. Like I said, times have changed, people have. Uh, Micah did exactly what Paul admonished his protege Timothy to do which was preach the word. Be prepared how often? Only two times a year. In season, out of season, right? For the time will come where people will not put up with sound doctrine. True for Micah, true for, true for uh, Paul, true for today. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Build mega churches, right? They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Tell us a lie. Tell us a myth. We'll pay you money to do it. And, and these leaders and these uh, religious and otherwise were in over their head and doing a bunch of stuff they shouldn't have done to be sure. And so God takes on this whole issue of their politics of that day. And, and let me just say this. The Bible does speak to politics. And the Bible doesn't, doesn't pr promote any particular system. Even though our, our system is a republic, we're not a democracy. I know everybody says that, but we're a representative republic. We form, have a democratic process, at least in theory. Uh, but it, the Bible doesn't promote democracy or a republic or autocracy or uh, socialism or communism. It doesn't speak for or against any of these systems. We, we talk about a system all the time. Here, people, maybe none of you. But everybody I'm friends with on Facebook is all about the system. The, you got to fix the system. The system broke. And let me just say this to you um, with not much under education, or you can take me for whatever you think. Guys, the system is not broken. People are the problem. The system works fine. If it were not for the people, right? Churches are awesome if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> Government is 
Perfect. We've got a great form of government. It's not broken. It's the people. And it doesn't matter what system you have. If you hire godless people to run it, it's going to go on the toilet. And that's where it is. Godless people tear up any system. The Bible doesn't necessarily. In fact, you could argue that the system that, uh, that, the, that the Bible promotes is, is a dictatorship. Because the government in the Old Testament that God set up was a dictatorship under David and Solomon and, and others. And by the way, because these men feared God and sought the best for the people, the people never had it better. Even a dictatorship with God-fearing people, Bible-believing, God-honoring people is good. It's not the system. It's the people. So don't vote for systems. Vote for character, because that is the vote that God gives constantly in the Scriptures, and that's the thing he takes on, uh, like I said, head-on here in, in the book of Micah. But anyway, Micah's main theme is not that. Micah's main theme actually is illustrated in, the, in his name. Micah's name is a very popular name because of the meaning. The name means who is like God. And so what a great name to name your boy, right? So Micah came up with that name. It was a common name uh, of the day, a common name even now among, among the Jews for that reason. It's, a very, it's an awesome name. Uh, who is like God? Of course, it's a rhetorical question because the answer is who? No one. No one is like God. And it, just, it, it holds that out in front of us. And I think in many, in many ways, in many, in, in many forms and fashions, we have forgotten that no one is like God because we in many ways make him, even consciously or unconsciously, we make him out to be like us. And we, we treat him as if we pray to him as if he's like us. We expect things out of him or, or fail to expect things out of him because we think he's like us, but he's not. And I want to give you four things, and there's many other things, but four major reasons why he's not like us. And the first reason is because he is spirit. He is spirit. John chapter 4, 24. Now we are spirit, right? Body, soul, and spirit. Part of our nature is spirit. But God, it says, is Spirit, Jesus says, God is spirit, not a spirit. Not a spirit. That's what I am. That's what you are. You're a spirit. I'm a spirit. Demons are a spirit. Angels are a spirit or those spirits. God is spirit. There is a difference. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth, it says. He's, he's different from us. He's substance, but he's not material. That's how do you make those, I thought, substance means material. Well, no, it doesn't. And, and if you differ on that, maybe I'll just give you a brief little chemistry physics lesson. Um, so your body is made up of a collection of cells, right? Right? You live on earth, you're made on a collection of cells. Okay, so we've got two things in common. Then your cells are made up of a collection of molecules, right? And your molecules are made up of a collection of atoms. And atoms are made up of what? <coughs> No, atoms are made up of almost 100%, almost 100% empty space. They are, every atom, no matter how big it is, how heavy it is, is 99 point, I mean, there's seven letters after the decimal point, 99.9999999% empty space. So if you're made up of entirely of atoms, what are you? So you thought you were substantive. I thought I was something, but you're nothing, right? The preacher said you're nothing because you aren't. Physically, chemically, you are not anything. You can take the entire substance that is the boil you down, if you will, to neutrons, protons, and electrons, and you 
if that's all we took all the space out of you, you would be smaller than a speck of dust. That's all the substance that you have. So we, how can God be, how can God be spirit and yet be material? And we're arguing for position of material. No, we're not. You are not material. That's why they can fire these subatomic particles at a at a at a uh, plutonium or at a at a uh, uh, uranium uh, atom or block of uranium and not hit anything because it's mainly space. you got to fire a bunch of them super fast and maybe you get a hit, maybe you don't. Because we're not made of anything. We're just space. You can take the entire human race, boil them down to nothing but neutrons, protons, and electrons and you can fit all of our substance into the area of about the size of a sugar cube. We're nothing. So we can't argue material as opposed to immaterial. Uh, That doesn't make... um, it doesn't make any uh, atomic sense for sure. So, so anyway, he's spirit. He is spirit. Number two, he is self-existent. So he's not like us in the fact that he is spirit. He's not like us in the fact that he is self-existent. In fact, he finds his existence within himself. So if you're self-existence, here's one of the things you don't need to do. You don't ever need to breathe again. Your heart doesn't need to beat. In fact, you can never be self-existent and also say you have any kind of need whatsoever. You don't need that pew you're sitting in because you, you don't need it to sit on. In fact, you never need to sit. You don't need anything ever if you're self-existent because all, all of your needs are met by yourself and not by anything outside of yourself. That is not who you are or who I am, but that is who God is. God even gives himself a name that represents this. Exodus 3, 14, Moses says, who will, I go to them and I say, who sent me? And God says, this is who you're going to say. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's not a name. That's, that's verbs, right? Uh, this is what you shall say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I'm the self-existent one. I'm continually existent. There is no end. You feeling self-existent today? Well, then I guess we could drop the temperature down to absolute zero in here and you'd be just fine. Or we could build your house on the face of the sun. No big deal. If you're self-existent, you don't need anything to come together in certain ways for you to exist because you find the existence within yourself. Of course, you don't need food, you don't need air. Who cares about disease? And you don't need the earth or the universe for that matter. But you're not those things. God is. God is. Who is like God? No one. No one is. And then a third thing, he is immutable, which doesn't mean you can't mute him. It just simply means that he cannot be changed. He not only cannot be changed, he does not change. And, and we better be real thankful he can't be. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. If God could be changed at all, if he could in the outside shot, have a bad day. We are toast. If he could have a a bad hormone cycle, we're done. If he could get off a little chemically, see ya. That's it. If he could change at all, even once, if there's even a chance of that, we're goners. But because he does not change, that's why we have hope. God is 
immutable. God is affected by nothing. He's changed by nothing. And yet we are affected and changed by everything. The same is true, of course, of his son. One in the same substance with his son. Jesus Christ, the same, what, yesterday, today, and you better be glad. You get back up on that deal, have a bad day, back up on the deal of the cross, reverse all the engines, right? You know what? I'm not going to forgive him anymore. But he's immutable. And you better be glad. Who is like God? No one. And then a final thing. He is holy. Now we think of this, you know, of course God is holy. Of course he is. And of course when you think of holiness, what do you think of? You immediately think of moral character, don't you? And that actually is not what holiness is. Moral character is an effect of holiness. It's not the cause. Holiness is the cause. The effect is moral character. Uh, but holiness is something altogether different. I shouldn't say different. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. Holiness means to be separated. It means to be separated. When God calls us to be holy, he's not just saying you need to act better. He is saying that. But he's saying you need to separate yourself. A lot of times we want to separate. We want to act better, but we don't separate ourselves from our friends and from where we're going and from the stuff that we're doing and from our attitudes. We don't change what's coming into our lives and start putting in the stuff that we should be. But we're going to somehow get better. I guess you could make a couple hours out of that. But you won't last. Holiness, guys, is separation. That's the real definition. Separation. God is holy completely separate again scriptures many places ago for this obviously isaiah 57 for thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever whose name is holy i dwell in a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly in spirit so he's either one place or the other by the way if you're neither if you're neither up there nor broken or contrite in spirit that's why jesus says in beatitudes blessed is the poor in spirit not the strong not the strong in spirit Blessed to the poor in spirit. If you're somewhere between the high and holy place and the contrite, then, then God's not there with you. Sorry. He's just not, because he's one of, one of the other places. So he finds himself in the place where he is above and separated from all, or he's coming to the one who's understanding that that, that, person, that that person understands, I need God above everything else. That You will find God in a place like that. But you will not find him anywhere else. God is holy. He is separate. Hear me carefully. God isn't just strong morally. Like I said, it's a, it's an, a moral, the morals part of it is an effect. It's not the cause. The cause is his separation. Because he's separate, he's moral, yes. But he's completely separate. He isn't just strong morally. He's separated from temptation. He doesn't just resist temptation. He's not tempted He's not tempted. See, in order to be moral ourselves, we have to resist temptation. God doesn't ever have to resist temptation. It never comes his way. He is separate from it. He is separate from it. He subjected himself to it in the person of his son when he became a man, but that had never happened before to the Godhead nor since. He is separated from it. It doesn't touch him. You better be glad. You better be glad he can't change or doesn't have the opportunity to change because if he could, we would be toast. He's not just morally strong. He's separated from temptation. He's not just unaffected by evil. He's not just infinitely resistant to it. It is separated from him. It doesn't touch him. It doesn't come close to him. That's why when you have a discussion of heaven and who's going to be with God for eternity, I will tell you who's going to be with him. Holy ones will only. 
And the whole attitude that God's just opening the back door of heaven and letting anybody in. No, he's not. You have to come to him through the holy son that he offered, a sacrifice who pays for your sin, removes your sin from you, and makes you separated to him. If you come any other way, well, you're not coming. Because he won't have anything to do with that which is evil. He never has. He never will. Eternity is going to be a place like that. You want to understand, well, okay, so... Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, okay, but heaven and eternity is going to be a place where we're separated from any of that kind of stuff. No temptation. No possible evil. What would that life be like? Well, we can only imagine. But to be sure, who is like God? No one is. And Micah illustrates this, the pinnacle of his prophecies here, speaking the very, if you will, the very definition of, of his own name. Who is like God? Who, who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Who is like God? No one. No one. That's why if anyone, if you, if, if you need anything in your life, it is a right relationship with God. Let me, let me give you an illustration. If, if we're in a game and it's down to the wire, and it's for the championship, and we're behind, who do we want to make sure who gets his hands on the ball? Who do we not want? Well, I would say me, first of all. I'm not, that, I'm not very good. Who do we want? You want your best guy or gal, don't you? And not just the best guy or gal who, you know, on an average in games, we want the best guy or gal who can do it when things are bad. Who can get it done when things are tough, right? Who, who can, uh, you see these, some of these guys and gals and they play sort of mediocre when the game is sort of, you know, no big deal. But when it gets close, when things get tough, when you need a cool head, these guys just turn into something different. They're the clutch catchers. They're the clutch uh, throwers. They're the, the clutch uh, shooters. They're the clutch runners. They're the clutch, you see. That's the one you want, isn't it? That's the one. You want the unique one to be handling the ball. Here's another situation. The security of our nation is threatened. Who do you want to have the codes? Some Yahoo hothead who doesn't know what he's doing? Somebody who doesn't understand everything there is to know? Do you want a person, anybody other than that, who's got his thumb or her thumb over the button? I think not. I think I want a very stable person in that place. I want a very powerful person who really understands and who really has a grip of it. Let's give it, let's take it all the way home for you. Uh, you're facing a crucial surgery. Who do you want holding the scalpel? I don't know if y'all saw the sign out there, but I've got a doctorate degree. I can cut you a really good price. I got myself a knife. I've opened a few deer, a couple other animals. I've opened, I've never closed. Somebody else can do that. <laughs> I, I don't think you want me. I can get around, by the way, inside. I kind of know, it kind of looks like a deer in there. A little bloody. I don't want somebody who's practicing medicine messing with me. Do you? Who do you want when it's, when it's, when it's a crucial thing like that? Well, you want the best, right? Any old person will definitely not do 
You have to have unique. You have to have special. So let's shift gears here again on you. When the control, when, when, when the balance is heaven and hell, life and death, eternity with God or eternity away from God, who do you want? Who do you want with the ball? Who do you want with the scalpel? Who do you want with his thumb on the button? You want the only one who can do all of that. And yet Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is sweating blood, but I'm telling you for sure, he's not just in control of himself, he's in control of all of it. He's controlling the whole sweep of history. He controls all the events. Because they're events that he orchestrated himself. In fact, he says, as he lays his life down for us, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. You're going to kill the Son of God? Really? No one can do that unless he allows it, unless he orchestrates it. So even though sweating drops of blood and laying his life down in, in how, how, a, how much of a, a vulnerable state that could be hanging on a cross like that, yet you're still looking at the person who's not only able to handle his own adrenaline, he dictated the results. He doesn't just know, uh, he doesn't just, he's not just good at taking things as they come, he knows how they're going to come. He's in control of all the sweep of history. He is like no other. That's the one you want. Who do you want in control of life or death for you, heaven or hell for you? He's the one. And if it's anyone else, including yourself, you're in big trouble. You are. Talk about a physician. Talk about a player. Talk about a person who can protect us. You're talking about Jesus. That's who you're talking about. There is no other like him. There is no one like him. I want to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about these things that God has said to us. Who is like God? No one is. No one is. And if that's not true for our lives, if we just, I don't know what you're putting into yourself, what you're giving yourself over to, but you're giving yourself over to anyone else. You're putting the balls in anyone else's hands. Your, your hand on the scalpel to anyone else. You're in trouble. Trust in your protection to anyone. Now you're in big trouble. Because there is no one like God. There is no one like him. And the best thing that you can do with yourself is surrender yourself to him. Completely give up. He already knows all your stuff. Lay yourself before him. Surrender to his way. He's a God who loves you. He's a God who has paid for your salvation through the death of his one and only son. How, how desirous is he to have you with him, considering all the things that he's done? How much of a mistake it would be not to surrender yourself to him. Lord God, I thank you that there is no one like you. I thank you that you can't be changed. I thank you, God, that uh, you are self-existent. You're not relying on anything or any one of us. It was your decision, and you found the reason within yourself to save us. God, I thank you that you've done this for us. God, considering all that you are, and there being no one like you, I pray that we would surrender ourselves to you today. Thank you so much for speaking to us, God. We look forward to the things you're going to teach us in your book. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.